Hello, witches. This is Kara Kovacs, and this is Business Witch. As a third-generation witch, at least, and a business and life coach for mission-driven entrepreneurs and leaders, I teach you how to make money and magic as liberatory practices. Because when we know, seek, and embrace our full potential, we create a better world for everyone. Here you'll find tools, conversations, spells, and inspiration that take you from waiting to creating so you can build the business and life you're oh so worthy and capable of having. Let's go. Hello, witches, and I am so excited to have you here today because we have a returning guest and her creative collaborator, who you may also follow, because they just released a really, really beautiful book, and I'm excited to share about it with you, but first, I'll let them introduce themselves. It's my pleasure to welcome Shelby Bundy and Kate Ballou. Welcome, witches. Hello, hello. Thank you, Kara, for having me. I'm really excited to be on your podcast and excited for our conversation. Tell the people what you do. So I am the creator behind Tamed Wild. So I run that business. And then I also have a little coaching business that I'm getting ready to launch later this fall for business coaching. Amazing. And Kate... I know that most of my audience knows of you already. You they may have heard Kate's episode back in the spring. And if you haven't, you can go back and listen to it. But just remind everyone a little bit about your work. Yeah, thanks, Kara. And thanks for having us. And hello, friends listening. Uh, my name is Kate Ballou. I am a, a Brooklyn-based writer, witch, poet from the Midwest, Michigan. And I first met Shelby through writing and collaborating with Tamed Wild. And I'm just really excited to be here talking about wild medicine today. I was so excited when you told me, I think, I think you told me right when you knew that it was coming out. I remember I got a text from you that was like, I'm writing a book. And it's always <laughs> exciting when a friend that you have or a client that you have releases something, because I know how much work goes into creating a manuscript. But then when I actually saw y'all posting about it, the cover is really pretty. And so then I was like, I was like, Kate, when, when do I get mine? <laughs> When's it coming? But it's literally so beautiful. And I know y'all are listening to it, but you have to go look it up. The cover is so, so beautiful. I'd love to hear just what made you decide that you wanted to collaborate together and write a book together, the origin story of what it is that you've created. Yeah. So I had written the Wild Medicine deck in 2017, which is a deck of 33 herbs and uh, their uses and the lore and the traditional uses. And Kate actually wrote the second version of that deck that's coming out this fall. So we have version one, version two. And then we were approached by Sasquatch Books and they said, hey, would you like to make these decks into a book? And we were like, absolutely. <laughs> so we just, we took the uh, original 66 herbs and we just elaborated on them and we added some rituals and used them kind of as the basis of the outline for the book. But yeah, just built upon that. Beautiful. Anything you want to add, Kate? Just that it's witchcraft at work. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. to create a deck and then have a publisher come find you. And it was, it's a really cool sort of process to see how that all works. And I just, I want to shout out Shelby's dedication to the cover because that was such a process. And I just, I think it's so beautiful and really brings the Tamed Wild vision to life and the brand and kind of the Aww. brand storytelling through imagery. And Shelby was like, we're going to get this right. And just going back and forth and like fin- finalizing all the details in it. I'm mm-hmm. really happy and proud of how it turned out. Yeah, no, it was a dream collaboration, Kate, to have you in on it with me. Uh, and speaking of just because I'm like next to the cover art and I was looking at it right before we got on and I see how you kind of have the sacred geometry, you have the cycles of the moons, and then you have the plants. And I'm curious now hearing the, you know, back and forth process and the ideation of the cover art. And I also didn't know that you did it yourselves because, you know, usually what friends I've had who've published in the past, they have somebody do the cover art for them. So I'm just curious about that process and also the intentionality behind combining the geometry, the moon cycles, the plants, and all of that. And maybe a little bit of a a deeper reflection of what it means for you personally. It was cool to watch that happen just because I don't have a design eye, but Shelby has really created and kind of like cultivated, tended to the tamed wild imagery through working with designers and then the publisher. And I think that it really speaks to that true like wild medicine. Like it's not just the, the, you know, the base chemicals or medical applications for the plants, which is that too, but it's also the magic. It's the intention behind it. It's the moons, it's the cycles. It's the reminder that we live in cycles and work with the plants in this way it kind of like draws on that um i mean for lack of a better word it's that wild medicine of the whole thing it's it's like it's a holistic view of that practice and that study it's not it's not just the plants but it's the web that we're really all connected to yeah well said (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think that was really the goal you know and and Crafting the design, and we went back and forth quite a few times with our designer to get it right because we really wanted it to do exactly what Kate just said, like not just speak to the plants, but the lifestyle that is wild medicine, you know, the seasons, the the, the nature, the crystals, you know, all of it, everything that comes from the earth that we work with is encompassed in the wild medicine brand, air quotes, you know, Mm. so. That's so beautiful. And I remember... I think it was a couple of years ago now, Kate, when you had started your herbalism apprenticeship and you gifted me a vial of oak oil and you were talking to me about how you had spent like a whole year cultivating relationship with oak and like something that I kind of picked up on. I haven't had time to go through the entire book yet, but just skimming through it when I initially got it is this idea of reciprocity and asking permission and being in relationship with plants. And it reminded me of talking to you about like, right when, and now you finished your herbalism apprenticeship, but like right when you were starting it, how you were cultivating relationship with plants. And I think that that's something that is so beautiful to do, but not many people even think think to do beyond maybe watering their house plants. <laughs> so I'd be curious 
for those listening who are like, what do you mean cultivating a relationship with plants? What do you mean asking permission? Which I think I texted you this that every time I, I go on walks with my friend, she like reaches out and touches and pulls things off. And I never do. And she'll be like, touch it, touch it. And I'm like, you have to ask permission before you touch it. <laughs> like, like for me, I was like, you need to ask consent from the plant. And we had a whole not argument, but you know, like catty best friend fight about asking permission from the plants. So if you're listening to this, I told you so, but also (laughs) (laughs) to hear your tips for cultivating relationship with plants and why it's important to ask permission and this idea of reciprocity that you open the book with. I know that's a lot of questions, but wherever you feel compelled to start. Yeah, I can, I can start there. I think that I just really want to honor and and thank Robin Rose Bennett just for all of her teachings and through the apprenticeship and all of, you know, my teachers, teachers and that whole lineage of wise women healing practices, which is kind of what she calls her studies, her practice and, and green witchery. And Robin really encouraged that sort of reciprocity and reciprocal relationship with plants for me. And and like you were saying with Oak, like spending a whole time in the apprenticeship each year, we do a plant meditation and really learn to listen and, and which plant wants to come forward for us. And we kind of make that agreement at the beginning of the year, just after the spring equinox. And so I worked with Oak the first year, Cedar the second year, and Pine this third year. And I, I graduate in about two weeks now, which I'm really excited about. November uh, 7th is my final day. But Robin, just so much of her teachings is about sitting with the plants, listening to them, trusting them for what they say and what we hear. Like if we hear a no, we have to understand that there's like a no for a reason. And, And over time, just learning to better hear that voice. Like at first it might be more faint, but the more you just kind of, the more I've returned to that space again and again and again, that that voice and that relationship grows stronger, like much like with any person or or friend. Um, yeah, I think that, does that answer your question? It sounds very like etheric and almost intangible maybe for people who have, what, like when I'm imagining somebody listening on the outside and saying, you mean like the plant talks to you? What do you mean? <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's okay if it's etheric or if it's in the ether, right? Because I think a lot of that magic is. And then I also think sometimes people who are less familiar are really looking for a way to ground that into their physical reality. And I just mm. be curious about your thoughts uh, or or tips for creating that as a first-time practicer. Yeah, there's this really beautiful quote by uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer, and I think it's like, don't take the first plant that you see, never take more than one third of that plant, like sort of these basic sort of rules or practices. And I, I, I think beyond that, like one of those, at least for me, is like offering something in return. So like a very tangible practice could be like, if you're harvesting a plant, even if you're just like seeking respite from the world and like leaning against a tree, like listeners, you might think to, you know, offer a bit of like dried herbs or I taught Cody to break up a cigarette and put a little tobacco, like if he's camping somewhere or like something really practical like that, a piece of hair, uh, a crystal or a stone, a compliment, a song, a poem. Like I think trees, much like people really love compliments and being noticed. And so that can be a really simple practice. If there's a tree in your yard, you might go there every day and 
bring a little bit of uh, crushed up rose petals or something and begin to introduce yourself and to sit there and and to listen to any messages that come through and maybe keeping a journal of this, if that's something that you're interested in, writing practice, ingesting an herb intentionally, like in tea or, you know, something like that. Does that feel a little bit more that's perfect. That was amazing. That's a really great list. <laughs> it was. And it made me think like, so every neighborhood I've ever lived in, I've had a favorite tree and I can't explain to you why, but I've always just been like, oh, this is my tree. And like, this is the tree's name. And it's just that particular tree. And I go and visit that tree all the time. And it's something I've done totally unconsciously my entire life in every neighborhood I've lived in. And I can't mm. explain that practice. And I can't explain why I was compelled to do that. I don't think I've ever like spoken about it on the podcast or anything. It's just a thing that I did. And what I was thinking when you were saying your list is for how many people they're probably already engaging. It's just, it's not intentional or they don't realize because it, it can feel so, as somebody who's ha- having eclipses right now in my third house, like so mundane and every day, it's just like a thing that you do. Shelby, what are your thoughts? I am more of the houseplant lady that we talked about earlier. I am, I'm, I grow herbs um, in my kitchen, but I have cultivated like a practice with my atrium full of houseplants. I probably have like, God, I don't know, 50 at least in there. And um, that's kind of what my plant practice has turned into a bit, like daily tending to them, you know, and cultivating relationships with them and learning like where they like to be and what part of the window is best for them and, you know, which ones are testy. And I, I found it to be really therapeutic and it slows me down, you know, in a good way. It's intentional. And so I've, yeah, I, I have a 10 acre property full of trees that, I feel like I'm still meeting them, you know, and they're, I always say trees are like the keepers of the earth. Like they're like the oldest. And I just, I love being in their energy, but I, I more am in a daily practice with all the plants that I brought inside to kind of bring the outside in, you know? Mm, Beautiful. And you talk a lot about the lore of each plant in the book. Do y'all have a favorite lore? I have one that's coming to mind. Yeah. I don't, favorite's hard. The first one that came to mind, <laughs> I am just right now, I've been working with Artemisia vulgaris, so much common name, mugwort, if folks love mugwort. And I just love that mugwort is so deeply tied to moon magic, especially through like the back of its leaves being silver and connected with Artemisia, Artemis, the huntress goddess who arrives to the island of Delos and helps her mother Leto deliver her twin brother Apollo. And so mugwort ends up becoming this sort of like midwife's herb in a way, working with menstruation and childbirth and uterine pain. And I just love how those myths and magical practices are all kind of woven together, just in which craft too can just be used for liminal spaces and dream work all tied up with the moon. I think that's one of my favorites. It's a good one. <laughs> I don't have a favorite. I have like uses. I like how like the thorny bushes are for boundaries and, you know, the ones that are like shaped like rods can be like for wands. Like there's just kind of like this common theme throughout some of them that I really like that I find is fascinating. 
Yeah. And something else I really liked in the book is that you say different ways to kind of distill or seep or infuse. So maybe instead of a favorite lore, do you have a favorite way of either ingesting or mixing or what is your favorite application for the herbs or one that you're using a lot right I'm definitely a tea drinker, like a nightly tea drinker. So that's my probably go-to favorite, which is probably most people's, I guess, if it's most accessible. But I really love the intention that goes behind making tinctures and elixirs. I like the time that it takes. I like the daily, like shaking it up and checking on it and kind of a caretaking process, you know, to create something over a moon cycle. So yeah, I would say tinctures are probably my favorite and tea is probably the most common, easiest way that I've been able to use them. Ooh, Shelby, share your rose petals. Oh, yes. I rose love petals. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have like an affinity for rose petals. When my kids are small and I would always make them tea, I would blend it for them. And then I would take a little bit of rose petals and I'd say, and roses for love, you know, and I'd put it in their tea. And so now it's just become like this practice that it goes in every single herbal infusion I make. It seems like any tiny, just a tiny little bit, you know, it's like a sprinkle on top. It's like roses for love and so that's probably been, gosh, my 10 years, every single thing. So that would be the most consistent. <laughs> I started doing it now too. Oh my <laughs> Did God, you? Good. That. It's, it's a little spell. I put rose in everything. Yeah, like same. Every perfume, it's in every tea. It, I put it in whatever I'm smoking. There's always a rosebud in the grinder. Like there's <laughs> everything. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. No, it's so good. It also ta- it like tastes so good. It makes everything taste better. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a small little spell, you know, a little way to just infuse something really simply. That's so beautiful. Do you have a favorite way of making or using right now, Kate? What are you doing? I just decanted a bunch of artemisia that had been brewing for a while, which I'm pretty excited about. I gave it to some friends. I think it's time for fire cider. I've been putting it off. Got to make like my big batch of that like before I get the cold. And then just finishing my pine project was a big deal for apprenticeship. Cody likes to always help me now because he's like our intersection are like trees and plants. And so he'll be like, what are we doing for our project this year? Which I think is really tender. Um, But this year we made flower presses out of pine, which is a lot of fun um, that said live deliciously carved into the top. So pretty excited about those. So cool. Can you tell us how you make fire cider? Yeah, there's so many different ways. Rosemary Gladstar has a really beautiful cookbook just dedicated to like a ton of recipes, but you just need apple cider vinegar, onion, jalapeno, cayenne, horseradish, ginger, what am I forgetting? At, you, and you kind of, you just let it steep much like a tincture. I have a recipe on my Instagram in reels. If anyone wants it, it's there, but you let it steep. And then when you strain it out, you add honey in and it just works. It's like a super delicious immunity boosting drink. It's quite pungent. So if you're not into that, don't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> I love making it in the fall. Yeah. Best way to like get after a cold, in my opinion. And it has the shelf light, like it lasts. Yeah, I keep mine in the fridge because also the cold, like if I'm drinking it cold, it just kind of helps with the, the flavor of it. But yeah, it, it's a, it's good for at least six months in there, if not longer. I'd push it 
to a year for myself, but I don't know if other people want to take my advice about that one. (laughs) But yeah, at least six months in the fridge, you're good. I'm curious too, as I'm talking to both of you, what I'm thinking about is how ancient so much of this is and how a lot of what Tamed Wild and also your individual work is really like bringing ancient practices to modern audiences. And I'm just curious about what that process is like creatively, like what your thoughts are about using ancient wisdom in the modern world. Um, Anything about your origin story that comes up for you around that as well? I feel like for Tamed Wild, it was, I feel like I started pulling on the ancient knowledge just out of curiosity and kind of my own learnings, you know, and at the time that we started, there wasn't a lot out there on you know, Instagram. Instagram was kind of in its like infancy as far as like our genre, I guess. And um, it kind of spawned from a place of wanting to know more. And so whenever we learned something, I was like, oh, share it with everybody else. They Other people probably want to know this also, you know. And it kind of came from a place of wanting to like honor that history and share it just so we could all learn. It's always like education-based for me, you know, like how do we learn, how do we grow and how do we support others in doing that? And those stories, I mean, changed my life, like the mythologies and just the the history. And, and now it's hard because you kind of get to a place where you have to like sift through a lot more to find the truth, you know? Whereas because of the abundance of information, which is beautiful and great, it just, it also presents that challenge, you know, trying to find what's accurate. But yeah, I think that, at least from my perspective for Tame Wild, like it's always education-based and like, how can we grow from it, you know? And when you say like, with this abundance of information comes maybe some misinformation, do you have any tips for verifying or for making sure that what you're getting is going to be really supportive for you? So hard because it's kind of like, you can always, you can always look at more like scholarly things, articles when you're trying to verify research, but also like historical data that is published and is well accepted, you know, would be what I would say. Because anybody can write a blog post and anybody can change, you know, the fact. And and also I'm learning, I've learned over the years that some of the things that are considered set in stone aren't. Every practice is different. Every person's intention is different. You know, what is one thing to one person is obviously something to someone else. And so there's a lot of intuition that goes into it when you get to the magical side of things, you know, it's not so much that it's been written that red was for love as much as I feel like blue's for love for me, you know, and that's the color that I'm going to infuse with love intention or, you know, kind of gray area, depending on what you're quoting or what you're passing along, I guess. Yeah. I think too, just like looking for teachers, like people that have been practicing for a long time who are like, out with the plants or have studied because I think that experience is just so beautiful too like whether that's like grandma experience or you know our own experience like I know that Shelby got a lot of this info from from her grandparents and 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 I love that like those are the things I remember too like I remember taking care of like detouras with my grandma Lucy or like weeding in my mom's herb garden or like and now it's fun too because I get to teach my mom things like a mullen showed up in her yard and I'm like check this out like this is mullen <laughs> she calls it mullion it's like my favorite thing um but I think sharing information like that is just is is so beautiful and fun and, and and in community it gives us reasons and things to talk about and to share with each other and education just much like Shelby was talking about 
Mm. Yeah. Personal experiences, you know, that become truth because they're personal experiences or somebody's experience, you know. Yeah. And you, you both brought up your ancestral connection to it. And I think too, I obviously made me think of my mom. My mom is a psychic medium and an Oracle deck creator and a tea leaf reading instructor and an aura reading instructor, like she, and a Reiki master, she does everything, but I wasn't raised with that. So I don't think I've shared about this on the podcast, but there is an episode where my mom is a guest. So people can go back and they can find the episode featuring my mom. But <laughs> she she was put up for adoption when she was young. So she was raised in a pretty like in a Long Island Jewish home with no real connection to magic. But we come from a very magical lineage. And when she met her birth parents in her 20s, she sort of opened what was already a very kind of natural like when I was little and I would be like, mom, there's something in my room. She would be like, well, just ask it to go away. As opposed to like, as opposed to like, there's nothing in there. She's Scorpio. She's just like, obviously there is something in your room. I could see it too, you know, kind of thing. But there was no like practice of it. Like she hadn't, it was just who she was, but she hadn't given it much thought. And what was cool is I think a lot of people meet me and they assume like, oh, I must have been a small child raised with these rituals. And we didn't really have them. But then she got into it when I was like in college and really cultivated this very deep practice. And I got to watch her evolution. And it was both an ancient, like this has always been who you are. Like this comes from our family. It's obviously quite inherent. And like you're learning as you go. And I remember initially, like I was, you know, probably agnostic and 19. And I was like, you're getting so weird. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) And now I get to be the beneficiary of like all of these beautiful gifts that have been so foundational to my own practice. And I think I wanted to share that because sometimes people lament not being able to talk about these kinds of things with their family because of religious or cultural differences or because like maybe these practices would be judged or not accepted and that like you can touch into what's in your ancestry or what's inherent for you without anybody's permission at any point just because you feel inspired to do so and like that that stuff is waiting on the other side of your desire to explore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ancestors can mean so many things too, like chosen family, adopted family, lineage as a whole, books, ascended masters, plants are ancestors, trees are ancestors. So however that listener's word like feels in your body, like following that thread, I think can be really empowering. I love that because I was raised Southern Baptist. And so I didn't have like this background that I hear people talking about, you know, where they had like a witchy influence or any type of magical growing up. I was the opposite. Like I was, my growing up was strict and it was like, you're going to church. I had a promise ring on, you know, when I was in middle school and like, I was very, very strict Southern Baptist. And so when I look back at my ancestry prior to that, there was Mormons, you know? And so When I first got on this path, it took me a minute to understand, Kate, what you just said about ancestors, because I was like, I know going farther back, you know, there's people I'll never know about. But for the past hundred years, I'm like, where do I fit in? Like there's Baptists and there's Mormons, you know, and like where 
where am I? And um, grasping that concept of everything you just said, like really helped me feel more connected. Mm. And in the beginning when you decided, oh, you know, I feel this connection and I'm going to pursue it. Do you remember what that process was like or what you did first? It was, it was the herbs is the first thing that led me into all of this. But I struggled being able to share it with my family or, you know, what their thoughts were. The biggest part was being able to articulate it as I was learning it, you know, because it's like you can't talk about a thing until you really know a thing. And I didn't really know it. And I was still, I was trying to tell others, you know, like, no, this is what I'm doing. And they'd ask me a question. I'd be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know that one. You know, like I haven't figured that one out yet. Like, I don't know what that is for me, but I did find in my family my the Mormon side of my family's they're like great record keepers and they can like trace us back to Adam and Eve you know there's like a whole book and we've got I was reading it one time about that this certain time in our family I think it was like you know early mid 1800s and I was reading these characters that were just ancestors and you know again Mormons and Baptists and I got to this one woman who had like a paragraph on a page and they're like Oh, and then there was Aunt Lily, and she's she was always outside, you know, talking about the moon and gardening. We don't know much about her. And I was like, there she is. <laughs> I know you. <laughs> That's cool that you have a record like that. Yeah. They were they were of itself. Yeah. It's really interesting to read, but yeah, it was that was kind of cool. I was like thumbing through the pages, like, where are you? I know you've got to be in here somewhere. Always look for the weird aunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am the weird aunt. <laughs> Same. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to be anything else personally. <laughs> they always seem to be the one having the most fun. <laughs> this episode is your invitation to become the weird aunt you've always dreamed of becoming. If it's step number one, buy wild medicine. Join <laughs> us. <laughs> We've graduated to wanting to be the ants on Practical Magic instead of Sally and Jillian. <laughs> I mean, this episode is coming out the day before Halloween. Like, it is perfect time. Actually, I'm being Frankie from Grace and Frankie with my best friend for Halloween this year. So I literally am being a weird aunt. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. <laughs> so what other rituals are y'all partaking in lately? What is your, if, if we were to give people a spell to do the day after they listen to this episode, and especially because the eclipse portal will be closed by then, which I... I'm sorry to deviate, but I was thinking this as you were talking about like how blue means love for you. I had a ritual candle that I lit that I, because of earthquakes in California, I don't leave ritual candles lit when I leave the house because I just am plagued with anxiety the whole time that I'm going to burn my apartment to the ground. So we snuff them. It's fine. But then I was like, oh, now the eclipse portal is open. I have to wait to finish burning this candle until it is closed. So I have this like half burnt intention candle that's been sitting on my altar for like two weeks now. Anyway, the point being, I think for some people, they would just do magic during the eclipse portal because I something that's been really like drilled into me in various witchy spaces is like, don't manifest on eclipses, like don't do magic uh, when the energy is really unstable. And I think that the lore behind that makes a lot of sense. And if someone felt called to do a spell, like they'd probably be fine. So 
I think I was just curious your thoughts on making up your own rules and in, in mm-hmm. situation, like when you receive guidance like that, and then we can go mm-hmm. into spells people should do for Halloween. I think for eclipses, for I guess it just kind of depends too, like what kind of magic that people are interested in doing. Like eclipse comes from the word, like the Greek word of like a departure an abandonment, like a breaking of and a beginning. And I, I, I think sometimes you need magic in, in the, that moment. Like I don't, personally manifest things but i have let things go in eclipses and i think that that can be a really powerful powerful spell i but i think the knowing of the energy is like always so important for the making up of the own rules and then whatever people are comfortable with i think i'm always like do it if it's what you want and it's in your heart you're like this is for me then just just do do that you know I, Robin always says, she's like, if they think you're crazy, you're free. And I always think about that in making up my own rules. I'm like, well, if someone thinks I'm crazy, then I'm free. <laughs> so I love that's, that. that's my advice. I agree with that. I could see, I, I, could, I think like working in the flow versus against it is always beneficial. So, you know, again, if eclipses are about letting go and breaking cycles, like do whatever you want to do that is relative to that. Maybe it's not the best time to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to, start something, you know, if the goal is to let go, but I'm all about breaking the rules. I, I think you could pick up a pen and be like, this pen is infused with this. And if you really intend it and you send the energy to it and, you know, and a pen might be a bad example because it's plastic, but you know what I mean? Like, I think any object can be sacred. I think anything that you want to be some, be full of something can be that. And so I don't really lean a lot into like traditional associations sometimes. And I, I forget what book I read that in, but I think it was Intuitive Witchcraft by Estrella Taylor. And she had this whole thing where she said that she lays out her candles and she meditates with them. And then she chooses which color that it is based on her feeling, you know, for, and she changes it based on like the candles sometimes. And I'm sorry if I'm, if that's not who wrote it, I'll have to check it later. But yeah, that was, I kind of learned from, from that book and was like, wow, this is actually a really great idea because it, it can shift, you know, and it can shift based on the cosmos. It can shift based on the energy. It can and so I feel like always being open to that shift and going, it doesn't, this doesn't feel right anymore. This doesn't resonate. And so now I'm going to move to this thing. And I think that's important in, in, in my craft, at least my practice. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also a really great reminder about the importance of self-trust, which I see mm-hmm. this so much as a business coach, people come to coaching and they are looking for you to tell them what to do. And that can be really problematic because I'm hearing your version of the story based on how you perceive of it that day. So like you might not have 100% of the pieces. It could be really colored by your perspective in that given moment. Like you could have a conversation where then you realize it was a miscommunication. And I've advised you based on your perception of a miscommunication. And so I always think of coaching as like, I want to invite you to find what is the deepest truth for yourself. And like, I'm the guide for you to find your own truth, but not to tell you what to do because people make major life-changing and business-changing decisions based on the advice that we give. And we want to be responsible with that kind of power. And I think the same is true with witchcraft where people are like, I want a spell book that tells me the ingredients and what day of the week to do it on and like how I'm supposed to do it. And that can be great. 
but you can also write your own. And Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot in my audience, people literally asking for the step-by-steps. And I get that because if I was going to bake something, I would want the (laughs) step-by-steps because otherwise, like I would likely, I tried to bake banana bread without measuring anything once. It was gross. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't go well, but like spell casting and building a business are not baking. Like there's not a roadmap. It's, it really has to be intuition based. And I think to invite people to be in the practice of self-trust and to actually connect to their, their own intuition or their own truth when it's so colored by so many outside influences all the time is an even more valuable practice than whatever the spell is or whatever the business decision is. It's like, I trust me, I've got me. Mm-hmm. I need that. Well, and also it eliminates roadblocks because if I've got a spell written out and it's like, I need, I have newt and I don't have that, you know, and I'm like, well, that's the only way to do that. So now I can't create that spell or I can't manifest that. But when it's open to like, or lavender, you know, or whatever herb you feel called to, whatever, go to your shelf and pick, close your eyes and whatever you feel pulled to, you know, if there's, if there's room for that then there's less hesitation and there's less roadblocks and people are more likely to move forward and actually do the manifesting and do the work. Yeah. It's also like what those materials meant to our ancestors mean different things to us too. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like doing something and I'm like, whoa, if my like fourth great grandma could like look at me pouring this like iced coffee out of this thing that I like picked up at Whole Foods, she would be like laughing. You know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. it's it, it's the want frankincense because it's something like valuable to a person or saffron. So like, what's valuable to me? Like, what do I mean it? Like, if it's, it has to be like a sacrifice for this, like maybe I cut off some of my hair or something because my hair is important to me or like that sort of energy with all of the things that go into the spell, like that sort of sincerity, I think mm-hmm. like meaning it is so important. Mm. Yeah. The intention behind it being the sole focus mainly. For Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, that's such a good reminder. And that that is so personal. You know, like whenever I want to have something from my ancestors, like I have a little Hungarian, the the doll, the nesting dolls, the dolls inside Mm -hmm. of the doll. Like that always goes on the altar. Nobody's spell is going to say, get Hungarian nesting dolls Mm and put them on your altar. You know, like that's just something I do because it represents my grandpa to me. And I like to call on him because he is always hanging out. Hi, Grandpa, wherever you are right now. He's always here. <laughs> He's a cool guy. He was an Aquarius too, Kate. <laughs> but do you have, with that being said, any ritual advice for this upcoming All Hallows Eve sacred day of witchcraft and celebration? Ooh, can I share one more story about meaning it that wants to like be heard? In- Please do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, was just, I was thinking about the duende, which is just, it's from Spanish folklore and it's kind of like this goblin or like trickster character, but Federico Garcia Lorca, the poet, tells this story about um, judging a flamenco contest in Granada and how each person that gets up is like more beautiful and more talented than the next. And the judges are like turning and like lamenting to each other and just being like, like, how are we ever going to know who is the winner? Like who is the best one? And an old woman like with a walking stick hobbles up onto the stage and she throws the cane down and she stomps her foot and the whole place just erupts. And they're like, that is the winner because she has the duende. 
So I think about like, <laughs> what is the thing in the spell where you can like throw your cane down and like stomp your foot and be like, this is what I mean, you know? Mm-hmm. And that it could be anything. It could be mm-hmm. the it be the orgasm. It could be the moon, like all of the above. Yeah. Kara is the one that taught me about sex magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember you telling me about that. That's amazing. <laughs> I, something the best I, business launching skill of all time. I'm <laughs> to say about that, though, since this is the Business Witch podcast, is a really reconciliation of like my first coaching certification was teaching a lot of tantric principles. And it was something that was taught to me by a white woman. And like, I have done a lot of work to think about, do I even have permission to use some of the things that were taught to me? And I don't, Mm -hmm. I think I would be remiss in having this conversation with both of you if I didn't say like, I don't use a lot of the things that I was taught because they just weren't given to me by somebody who I don't know if she had permission and and like that I would want to either pay somebody from that lineage for teaching it to me. And so sex magic can be really, it can be really just like everything else that we've talked about today. You kind of make it up as you go. So like that can look like I'm, you know, self-pleasuring and I'm thinking about what it is that I want to create and I'm sending my energy towards that. Still do that all the time. That's very much a make your own spell kind of thing. But things like mm-hmm. yoni eggs, which is, you know, an ancient Chinese Taoist practice, like I just don't think it was given to me. So I don't use mm-hmm. those anymore. And we, you and I, Kate, haven't had the opportunity to have a conversation about that. But I think I just want my audience, one, to hear that from me and two, to just think about like, and we have a great episode actually with Camelia Dowling on the podcast about- oh, cool knowing what traditions you can use, how you can use them, how to pay back to the originators of the tradition, how to study, like, were you given permission to use this? Because we definitely want to make sure that if we are calling upon other people's ancestors, that we're doing that with respect. Yeah, absolutely. It's That's so, so important. And I think it kind of goes back to that, like, right relationship and, like, reciprocity as being kind of foundational to any of these practices. Like, we want to be in right relationship and not and not perpetuating violence or oppression in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, to close on, on the note of Halloween. Yeah. Uh, any, any thoughts, any spells, any intentions you'd like to set for with our audience? Ooh. I mean, we talked about ancestors and connecting with ancestors in many different ways, but I just love a Samhain season ancestral altar. Like that is just my favorite thing to do. I have a little bar here. I put out the fun things. There's usually like champagne or PBRs for my grandpa Ken or Newports for grandma Joan or, you know, it's my grandma Joyce's artwork. There's, I usually put out marigolds, any kind of like fun orangey flowers that kind of remind me of that time, mugwort, maybe a letter and, or, and even to pets too. Like I've put out a favorite dog treat of my like childhood dog. Like it's kind of just like a party in here for me um, at that time. (laughs) Like try to get Cody to like, you know, put in some of those intentions too. I'm just looking at the bar and like, oh, fun doing something like that. And you know, it's (laughs) I like I love Halloween. Like I'm dressing up as Black Philip from The Witch this year. I'm going out dancing. I love that. And I think that Samhain too, if anybody else wants to do both Halloween 
glamour magic and dress up and go out and then also have a more like somber or celebratory Samhain celebration, like feel empowered to pick a full moon or a new moon in October or November. Like astrological Samhain is when the sun is at 15 degrees of Scorpio. Like you could do astrological Samhain, which is usually like November 7th or 8th. Um, you could do November 1st. Um, if maybe Dia de los Muertos is something your ancestors celebrated instead of Samhain or any other holiday that I don't know that exists of this practice. Like researching those ancestors, ancestral holidays can also be really powerful too. I think mm-hmm. that's my spell advice. I'm simple. I'm very simple when it comes to this this type of thing. I have a candle. I have a candles in my uh, living room that I light every night and I have one for each person that has passed away. And so my nightly ritual is kind of is lighting those. And then when I blow them out, I say something to them. So it keeps me connected because it's every night, you know, I kind of do a little candle magic for my pa and my stepdad and like the people that I've lost. But on Halloween itself or around that time, I like to just talk about them more like at the dinner table with the kids and just kind of tell stories. You know, it's it's like a dumb supper, but without the quiet time, the quiet eating. <laughs> We're actually like, we we talk more and share stories and make sure that they're remembered. Cause it's not every dinner, you know, that you, life gets so busy and it's, you don't really have that constant reminder to like share. And so at Halloween is kind of when we make it intentional and go, okay, let's, what was your favorite story with grandpa? What was your favorite story? What was the favorite time that, what's the funniest thing he said to you? And we go around the table or, you know, kind of remembering so I really like doing that, but they're simple. Candle magic is one of my favorite things because it is literally the simplest and you could do it anywhere. Have a little candle kit you travel with. No, oh, that's so nice. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Thank you for sharing that because <laughs> I want to talk to my grandpa more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's great. It's just, you know, it's sometimes it's just like, I just say, oh, good night. You know, and other times I'm just like, dude, today was such a day. Like, I like I stand there for a minute, you know, and it just makes me end the night every single night saying goodbye to them or goodnight to them again. And then I get to see them again the next day when I light the candle and it's a specific candle in a specific place. So, yeah. I love that. That's such a, that's such a beautiful ritual. Well, if people want to know more about you, your work, your offerings, they want to stay connected, where would you direct them? And obviously we'll link this also in the show notes. Yeah. So I personally am at the moon in Carolina on Instagram, moonincarolina.com. And of course there's tamedwild.com or at tamedwild. Also your podcast. Yeah. I forgot about that. Um, only on episode five. So I, <laughs> for, I, yeah, I'm still new at it, but yeah, it's everywhere you get your podcast and it's also called the moon in Carolina. Thanks, uh, Kate. And <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me at k8blue or katebaloo.com. I co-host the Magic and Alchemy podcast by Team Wild with Kristen Lizenby. We have an episode with Kara over there on business witchery, which is a lot of fun. I think that's that's it. Fabulous. And I always ask this question, Kate, you've already answered it, but maybe there's a new answer from last time. And Shelby, the question is, why do you do what you do? What's your why? Yeah, and my why, because it's the, the thing that I want to get out of bed in the morning, you know, and I love sharing and I love community and I love learning and I love being able to inspire and help other people kind of find their purpose and chase something that matters to them. And so 
if we can do that over at Tamed Wild, if we can help other people go, oh, that sounds fun. I'm going to try that, you know, then then I'm happy. Eight, any updated answer? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't remember what I said. So I'll say something and then I'll go back and I'll listen to the old one and see if it was similar. But <laughs> my why in the world is because I love stories and poems and witchcraft and magic and believe in the web of this wild world that we are all a part of and believe so deeply in the enchantment and celebration of those things. I feel like I didn't remember what you had said. And then you started giving your answer. And I'm pretty sure it's verbatim, like almost the same answer. I mean it. (laughs) (laughs) And where can people pick up your beautiful new book? Oh, it's at tamedwild.com or anywhere really that you buy books online. It's kind of out there at this point. So So we will link that also in the show notes. And thank you all for listening. Go follow Shelby and Kate. And we'll see you witches next time on Business Witch. Witch.